Hey, welcome to the Midtown Sermon Podcast. It's great to have you with us. If you're a first-time listener, you're going to love uh, our February series as we're talking about our vision and where we're going. And if you've been around for a long time, I think you're going to enjoy this too because uh, it's going to be an invitation to jump into the fullness of what Midtown is about this year. So whether you're a first-time listener or been around for a long time, welcome aboard as we talk about our vision based on the burger joint in and out. I know. Join and you'll find out. So if you'd like to learn more about Midtown, go to our website, midtownfellowship.org, and hope you enjoy the sermon. Hey, you can be seated, and good morning, everybody. And I know what you're thinking. Why am I wearing a sweatshirt on Sunday morning? Or why is this up here? (laughs) And I know what many of you are thinking is that I finally snapped, I've lost my mind, and that uh, this whole plan for 20 years of Midtown is to turn this into a burger joint, and the answer to that is yes. (laughs) That our mission this year is to eat more burgers. That'd be kind of nice, wouldn't it? Wouldn't be a bad idea. What is this doing up here? Well, we, we're starting a vision series, and we were going to start in January, but then uh, COVID hit, and then the blizzard hit that didn't hit. Uh, and so we kind of pushed it back to this month where we're going to be talking about what we're going, going to do, what we're striving for, and what we're asking the Lord to do here at Midtown for the next really couple of years. And what I want you to really get on your mind and on your tongue is in and out double-double. And what I mean by that is that our vision here is really kind of simple. When you think about all of Nashville, or you think about what we consider the place that God has called us on mission for, that he wants us to bring light and he wants us to be salt, whether that's Green Hills or whether that's this general area, or whether you want to consider it all of Nashville or greater Nashville, however you're thinking, that our vision is, is to try to strive to bring a community of people onto this campus and into this community and begin to invest in them and grow them into more and more intimacy and more and more maturity in your life and in their lives as we bring them in, then actually then to send them out. And what are we sending them out to? Sending them out to your life, sending them out to your family and to God's vision for your life and for your career and for your purpose and for the adventure. But that our whole vision is to bring people in and invest in them, invest in you, and then send them out. And it's really not a new vision. I mean, this isn't some crazy new idea that Midtown has come up with. This vision is actually a vision that's been around for thousands of years. It's actually the vision of Christ. If you go to Matthew chapter 28, and this is in verse 16, we hear this famous passage. The 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, as surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, if we had time this morning, we could really take this whole passage apart, and we could talk about things about this amazing 
truth that the disciples gathered and they were worshiping Jesus and some were doubting and how worship and doubt come together and how this journey of faith is often riddled with a lot of doubts and a lot of questions and a lot of what ifs. We could spend a lot of time even talking about when Jesus says all authority has been given to me. What does that mean for our lives? In Revelation chapter 12, it says that that authority is the blood of the lamb, which gives us power over the enemy with our testimony, that our story of redemption along with the power and the authority of Christ gives us power over darkness. But I want to point out something here that helps us better understand, and I don't want to block in and out. By the way, has anybody ever eaten it in and out here? Yes? Does anybody here know what double-double means? So in and out it's odd because in preparation for this series, I did a deep dive into the history of in and out uh, in and out was actually the very first drive-through, I think in the country, maybe California, where you could actually drive through. You could order on a machine and drive through and get your burgers and go. Very simple menu. Just burgers and I think fries and eventually shakes. But uh, they have secret menus. Do you all know about this? Like you can order your burgers in a way that's not on the menu, like animal style or four by four or double Dutch. Um, this is all I've read this, all right? Uh, and they're into drag racing too, by the way, which has nothing to do with what we're talking about. But double-double is one of the most popular ways to order your burger, which is double the meat, double the cheese, right? Double the heartburn, right? It's, and so when we're talking about our vision for this year, we're talking about in and out and we're talking about double-double, our passion is to double your love and double our impact. And what does that mean when we're reading this passage where Jesus says, go into all the world and make disciples? Well, listen to what he says. He says, and I will be with you always to the very end of the age. And what does he mean by that? You know, before there were iPhones and before you had, you know, Google Maps or whatever maps on your phone uh, that would give you directions to somewhere, it wasn't uncommon when you were trying to find a place to actually stop and ask somebody for directions. And if you're out in the country or the backwoods or a place that you've never been before and you pull over, you, you kind of, you, you were hoping that the directions were so simple that you could ask for directions and you could just remember them. But as they got more complicated, then you realize, well, you got a pen, I got to write this down. And so you pull into a small country store and you go, hey, how do I get to this place? And typically it starts with, well, first you, you want to go down the road and as you go down the road, you, you're going to take a right like on Perkins Lane. And then as you go down Perkins Lane, you're going, the third mailbox, you're going to take a left. And then they turn and ask somebody in the back room, hey, did their mailbox get run over last night? If it did, yeah, that's two mailboxes. And so then they say, when you take a left, that's going to be a gravel road. I don't think the road has a name, but we all know it's Dead Man's Ridge, you know, so be careful about the turn. Why don't I just ride with you? I'll get in the car with you. You throw your directions out the window because you don't care about them anymore. Because you don't need directions. You got him or her sitting right there. In fact, you don't even need to know where you're going. You got them. And they are so much better than what you were going to write down on a piece of paper. And what Jesus is saying when he says, and I am with you always to the very end of the age is Jesus saying, I am so much better than giving you directions. I'm with you. I am with you. 
You don't have to need, you don't have to know the way. You know me. You don't have to know the directions. You know me. And see, what we forget about this Great Commission, because churches have preached it for thousands of years. Before Jesus ever said, this is gonna be before he ever says go, do you know what he said? B. For three years, those disciples hung out with Jesus. For three years, all he said was, just be with me. You don't have to know where we're going. You don't have to know what we're doing. You don't have to know how I'm going to do it. I'm just asking you to be with me. Just be with me as we walk into the temple. Be with me as you watch me heal people. Be with me as you watch me raise the dead. Be with me as we're in the boat. Be with me when we're breaking the bread and we're feeding 5,000. Just be with me. And so when we say here at Midtown, we want to double your love, this is what we're talking about right there, is that you would learn how to be with Jesus. Because see, when you learn how to be with Jesus before you go for Jesus, guess what happens in your life? You actually don't go to get something. You go because you have something. You don't go to find life. You go because you have life. You don't go to find love. You go because you are loved. You don't go to prove something. You go because something has already been proved. In fact, here's what's crazy is we live in a world, you know why we're, most of the world is going? They're going to try to live their best life. I got to go and live my life, man. I, I got to go and do something with my life. I got to go and be something. I got to go significant. I got to prove to the world that I matter. I've got to put my stamp on this place. This is my time. This is my opportunity. And what Jesus is saying is, if you will be with me, I will give you life. And you'll take life into life instead of expecting life to give you life. And I'm going to tell you that that is a complete transformation of the way that we're going to live life. Because when we get the be and the go backwards, when we go before we be, you know what it does to us here at church? <laughs> when the church becomes all about going and not about being, then I got to get you going. And let me tell you, I, I can use guilt, I can use shame, I can use manipulation. I can even become spiritually abusive to you just to get you to go and do something. <laughs> and then we start taking on this mentality that the more we do, the better we are. So the bigger we get, the better church we are. And the bigger I get, the better your church is. And so we put pastors up on these pedestals and we want to see their star rise. We want to see them become dynamic people. And we want our pastors to be these gifted, just beautiful, just handsome, articulate, funny people. And God bless you all that you got all that. But <laughs> it's crazy. And so we come to church to see a show. We come and we hope, man, I hope Randy's on today. Or I hope the band's killing it. We don't come to experience to be with Jesus we come here to experience some community that's on the go. And here's what's crazy. We're going to talk about it in a minute. 
This image of a congregation existing to support the career of a pastor is so unbiblical. I don't even know how to explain it to you. We'll talk about it in just a second. But let me tell you the difference. When we revert that back and I choose to be versus go. When I was a junior in college, I was a new Christian, you know, and I was trying to be like Christ. And my mom called me and she, she said, hey, I got a big favor to ask you. And I said, what's that? Her best friend's. Her best friend's daughter was graduating from high school, and she couldn't find a date to the prom. You know where this is going? And there was a reason she couldn't find a date to the prom, all right? I'm not saying anything bad about her. She just, socially, she struggled with relationships. And she asked me if I would come home and take her to the prom. And I said, okay, I, I agree to do it. But I did it with reluctancy, you know? Because I didn't really know her that well. I, okay, I'm doing this a favor. And I want you to think what it was like for me to drive 100 miles from my college town to my hometown to take someone to the prom that I didn't want to take them to the prom. That's church for most people. I mean, I'm here. I mean, you know, we're good. Like, this is a good thing. I mean, I'm going to church, but, oh, Lord, literally. Church is something to endure. I just got to get through it. I want you to compare that, <laughs> that prom to my honeymoon. On my honeymoon, you'd have had to kill me to take me away from that. Like, that right there, are you kidding me? I'm stopping everything in my life for that moment. I can't wait for that moment. I'm itching for that moment. Compare the two. And what we're talking about here at Midtown is our vision, first and foremost, is that something will get ignited inside of you that is ignited by love. And that you would learn that your Jesus wants to be with you. And that church is not a reluctant place that you come to, but it's a place where you thrive to be before you ever consider going. Listen to Ephesians. This is chapter 4. This is 11 through 13. It says, So Christ himself gave the apostles, he gave the prophets, he gave the evangelists, he gave the pastors, and he gave the teachers. To do what? To equip the people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. Now underline that and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That God has given all these people these gifts to equip the body of Christ. In other words, that model of a pastor ascending and the congregation supporting him, that's not biblical. In Scripture, what we find is the pastor is actually the chief servant. He's the chief teacher to help equip the saints, you, to go live your life learning how to be so that you can go. A pastor doesn't exist to grow in its fame. He, he's the first one at the cross confessing his sin. The pastor should be the most humble in the community. He should be the one that's most hungry for grace, most vulnerable. I know it's a heavy burden to bear. But as we think about what's gathered around us here at Midtown, you are surrounded. You are surrounded by pastors, I mean, if you're a part of the Midtown community, you know it. We have seven pastors here, and they all kind of float in and out of this place. 
We have teachers. We have worship leaders. We have kid town directors, family ministry directors. We have group leaders. We have apprentices. They are all designed to do one purpose, to help you mature. Double, double. Double your love. <laughs> what does that mean? Well, the first thing I want you to know when we talk about being and doubling your love is we are acknowledging that the moment you become a Christian, God makes you a promise that he is going to give you everything you need for life and godliness. In fact, the moment you become a Christian, you have as much as somebody who's been a Christian for 30 years. Listen to what it says about Scripture when it talks about the Holy Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit, like when we become a Christian, we get the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit, and some of you can say this, is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That when the Holy Spirit shows up, his pockets are full of those things. And he's emptying his pockets into your life with those things. Some of you know Dave Burden. Uh, he's one of our pastors here and has been a friend of mine for, uh, gee, I don't know, I mean, like 25 years. And on many occasions, I love to go camping with Dave because Dave's love language is giving. It's not receiving, it's giving. And here's the thing that Dave will, will spend a lot of time thinking about how to make this camping trip spectacular for everybody that's going. And so every night, and you want to do multiple nights of camping with Dave, because every night Dave will go into his tent and he'll come out with something just spectacular. You're like, how did you pack that in here? You know, just some wondrous thing like a pony he'll come out with, you know, and we'll do pony rides just because he loves to give. But like, I have literally been on a camping trip before where he came out with an apple pie, an apple pie. And we just put it right on the fire and just ate it out of the pan. It was glorious. How he did it, I have no idea. But think about Dave a hundred times, and that's the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit is coming into our lives, and he's bringing love. He's bringing joy. He's bringing peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And these are not love like you and I know love. This is the love of the Trinitarian God who created the universe. He's bringing that into your life. In fact, in 2 Peter chapter 1, this is verse 3, it says, His divine power, and it's talking about the divine power of the Trinity, God Almighty, which I'm assuming is a pretty big deal. His divine power has given us everything. 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 And how much is everything? It's everything. So His divine power which is the greatest of all powers, has decided to give you everything that you will need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. And through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature. So his power has given you everything you need to participate in the divine nature, to be, to know life. And if that's true, why do we not experience it? Why is participating in the divine nature sometimes isn't the first thing off my tongue when I'm telling people how this week went? Is it possible, is it just possible that our participation in that process, we've stumbled? 
So when my kids were little, I just want to tell you, we'd play games like Candyland and Chutes and Ladders, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I'm, I'm not bragging, but I'm just telling you, I destroyed my kids. I, <laughs> I, there wasn't a game like that I could not literally rule them, you know, like even up to like six and eight years old, like I, I had them. I even basketball, I dominated the basketball courts. You know, we had one of those goals that was only six feet tall. I could dunk. It was unbelievable. But when they went off to college, their games changed. And what changed was video games. And so I decided that I was going to give my boys Call of Duty. Judge me? I don't care, all right? I, if you think that's bad, you don't know half of it, all right? <laughs> Spend time with me, I'll tell you the risk. If that makes you mad, come talk to me. I'll tell you stuff that will really make you mad. But, so, but here was the plan. I'm going to get Call of Duty in October and I was going to practice it all the way up to Christmas so that when they got it for the first time, I would dominate them and relive the glory of when they were six years old. Is that demented? It was glorious because, like, I just started practicing, you know, and oh, I tried to, and then I'd lose passion for it and practice and practice and, okay, they got the present, and they destroyed me on Christmas Day. Even though I tried to attain what was already mine, I failed to do it. I needed a gamer coach. No, I didn't. All right. What if double the love is actually the Holy Spirit is already working? And that's what God is doing. And God is working in this place. And is it possible for us to be here and God's working and we miss it? But also you have a team here of pastors and worship leaders and Kid Town directors. They are laboring hard for this. And is it possible for them to work hard and you miss it? Listen to Colossians. This is chapter 1. This is the Apostle Paul talking about his life. Verse 28 to 29. Jesus is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. Fully mature in Christ. And he says, To this end I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully worked in me that the Apostle Paul saw his mission of his life was to help people to become fully mature, fully mature in Christ. So when you think about Midtown, I want you to think about that is everything we're doing here. That when you come in, we are committed to helping you become fully mature in Christ. So if you've been around for a while, you, you've heard me talk about this. And so let me bore you by talking about it a little bit more because... When I talk about full maturity, we need to talk about what that is. What is maturity in Christ? What are we laboring for in your life? What is the Holy Spirit laboring for in your life? Well, here at Midtown, we call that four-part maturity. The first part is we're laboring for spiritual maturity. That you would come to an awareness of how deeply Jesus has fallen in love with you. That you would not only grow in that and understand that, and you would get your hands around it and grasp it and hang on to it, to the point to where it changes your own affections to where you fall back in love with him. We are laboring that you would learn how to be with Jesus. Learn how to enjoy his presence in your life. Enjoy, he's in the car. 
Enjoy the dependency that we have when he's in the car with us, not knowing where we're going, but we know the one who knows where we're going. Dwelling with him, slowing our lives down enough to practice things like Sabbath rest and trusting the Lord. The Lord says, take a day and rest. And we're like, okay, I trust you. And practicing some of those things and practicing being silent before the Lord and practicing being in his word and practicing things like prayer and community and fellowship, practicing things like vulnerability, creating a rhythm of our lives to be with Jesus, walking with him, listening to him, resting with him. But if we just stop there and I got you to memorize the entire Bible, that doesn't mean you're mature. There's more to maturity than just knowing the whole Bible. We also talk about maturity here as emotional maturity. Emotional maturity. Learning to understand and love how God has made you. Taking time to hear what's going on inside of you. God has given you beautiful emotions wonderful emotions and all your emotions are good and they're all teaching you something about yourself and they're also teaching you something about him they are gifts of heaven that are telling us what's important and wrapping our lives around them like 10 days ago i had a horrible two days i mean horrible two days have you ever had one of those days where you just walk in the house and you go i quit i just quit everybody out <laughs> i'm done and we can laugh, but it was really, it was darker than that for me. I felt despair. You want to hear the story? Well, of course you do. Why? Because it's dripping with real life. When I take the emotion out of it, I say, well, I woke up at 6 o'clock, you know, and I went to this meeting, then I went to this meeting, this meeting. I had, you know, a kale salad for lunch. And then I had this meeting, this meeting, and I came home, and I was in bed by 10. It's not telling you anything about my life. Emotion brings color and depth. And then if I tell you two days after that, some things happened that I started to do something right here and I experienced a supernatural presence of God. And I discovered maybe for the first time in my life in a deep abiding way what it means that the joy of the Lord is your strength. And I mean, I'm telling you, it was not a, yeah, I'm better now. It was like I felt like I could walk on water. You want to hear about that story? Well, yeah, sure you do. Why? Because emotions are a part of what has made us like our Father. So we want you to grow emotionally. Some of you struggle with that. Some of you struggle with sadness and you fight against it. Some of you struggle against anger. You can't, you're not allowed to have it. Some of you think fear is your enemy. Some of you don't want to ever feel hurt. You think loneliness is the worst feeling you can ever have when it's a kiss from Jesus. Some of you are struggling with shame and guilt. And you don't know that these are pathways to gladness and fullness. So we want to help you grow there. We're investing in that. But that's not enough. It's not just spiritual maturity, emotional maturity. We also want relational maturity. The power to learn how to be present with people we love. Learning how to listen and care for other people. Learning how to fight clean. How to grieve with each other. How to celebrate with each other. How to laugh and cry with each other. How to learn to let ourselves be loved. I'm telling you, that is a hard journey. Because a lot of us have history that says that's not possible. So it's spiritual, it's emotional, but it's also relational, but it's also social. And when we mean social, and we'll talk about this in a couple of weeks, we're talking about a love for this city, for our community. 
We're talking about this place is different because we're here. We're talking about the whole call of Jesus to die to ourselves. I mean, all of us, I mean, y'all are good people. Y'all know that. I mean, you're sitting around some of the best people in Nashville. And there's not a person in this room that I know that is, that's, that's not selfless in some way. Like, you're selfless. Like, you, you're more than willing to leverage your good for somebody else's good. I mean, I've seen it a thousand times in this community. stirs my heart and warms my heart. But, but social maturity is learning how to move past being selfless to being sacrificial. They're very different things. When I was in London a number of years ago and we were doing some street evangelism, that's a whole other story. It's a great story. But I went up to a homeless guy and he goes, hey, man, can you give me some money? And I literally didn't have a pound to my name. I said, I got nothing. And he goes, really? You got nothing? I said, no, man, I'm sorry. I, I got nothing. And he goes, well, sit down. And I sat down. And he goes, here, man, have my pizza. I'm like, you're giving me your pizza. And I said, this is your dinner. He goes, man, eat it. You need it more than I do. And he was giving me all that he had. That's sacrificial. He was going to go hungry tonight so that I wouldn't go hungry tonight. We, we can talk a lot about how we need to be less selfish. But that's not the call of Christ. The call of Christ is I want you to die to yourself and follow me. The Lord is asking us to be sacrificial, not selfless. And so we're going to talk about what does that mean when a community of faith says we know how to be, we have what we need already so that when we go, we're not asking the world to give it to us. Are you all with me? So spiritual maturity, emotional maturity, relational maturity, but also social maturity. So here's the charge, and we're about to come to this table, all right? In 2 Timothy 2, Paul is talking to his young protege, Timothy. And he has some really hard words for Timothy. This is a guy he's trained in ministry and life. He's trained him how to be with Jesus. And he says, hey, Timothy, join me in suffering. I'll read that again. Timothy, join me in suffering. And what does suffering look like to Paul? He says, I, I need you to change your life, Timothy. And I need you to take on a mentality. He said, first, I need you to be like a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one serves as a soldier, gets entangled in, this, in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Then he says, in the same way, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. And the hardworking farmer should be, in the, be the first to receive the share of the crops. He says, Timothy, join me in suffering. I want you to be a soldier. I want you to be an athlete. And I want you to be a farmer. And we don't have time to unpack all that, but just know that, that a soldier is someone who's a fighter, someone who's willing to put their life on the line, that there's a cause in their life that they go to war for. The athlete is the grinder, the person that's willing to train when no one's looking. I can promise you the people in the Olympics right now, they didn't just wake up last week and say, I think I'm going to go join the Olympics. This is years of sweat and blood and tears and injuries and fighting to get better and better and better. Train, train, train. And then the farmer, I'm, I'm going to tell you, if you don't know a farmer, let me just tell you about them. They never give up. You wake up in the morning and you go to work. And you go to bed at night and you pray for rain. So Paul is saying to Timothy and I'm saying to you, Midtown, join us on this vision Become a fighter. 
Become an athlete who's a grinder and a trainer. And become a farmer to where you never give up. Join us. God's doing his part. We're trying hard to do our part. You do your part now. And let's grow together to be before we ever talk about going. I'm reading a book by Rich Deviney. Um, it's a book called Attributes. He's a Navy SEAL or was a Navy SEAL. Fascinating book. But this quote here just struck me as I thought about our talk today because he's talking about courage. He says, if courage is the ability to effectively move through fear, move through challenges, and move through discomfort, then perseverance is the ability to keep doing it over and over again. And what I'm saying, community, let's come at this together. And how do we do it? Right here. This table. You know, this table is not, as some would say, the ABCs of Christianity. But this is the A to Z. This is it. This is all of it right here. Because what is this table? That the one who loved you gave his life for you. The one who cares for you came to rescue you from death to life. And Jesus said on the night that he was betrayed, he said, I want you to do this in remembrance of me. And so this has become a sacrament, a means of grace, where we come and remind ourselves that before I ever go, I need to be. And hear what he's saying about me. Things like, I am forgiven. I'm made new. I'm never alone. He is with me. This table is where we return back to our sanity of who we truly are when going has robbed us of our sanity. It's the place we come and we drink deep of the one who loves us and has a new name for us, and that name is son and daughter. So let me read for you. This is out of Paul's writings to the Corinthians. He said, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had ta taken it, he gave thanks, and he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant. In my blood do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This is a table of not just remembering, it's also a table of proclaiming. That this is who we are. And Jesus has a warning for us through Paul. So then, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. And everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eats and drinks judgment on themselves. What does he mean by that? Well, he means a couple of things. One, if you don't know Jesus, if this is a part of your journey right now where you're exploring who this guy is and what this whole thing is about, this table is not for you yet. This is a family table for those that are broken and need the one who meets broken people and makes them whole. But it's also a warning for those of you that know Christ. And it's saying, don't treat this table small. Don't treat, if, if the Holy Spirit has spoken to you in any way, examine your heart. Pause. Come confessing your sins and your need for God's grace in your life. And then come to this table and receive it. If that's not what you're able to do right now, if there are places in your life where you're saying to Jesus, keep your hands off. I want to keep church a safe place. 
then the Lord says, hey, if you've heard anything today, stay where you are and deal with that. Because when you come to this table, you're asking the Lord to deal with that. And that could be a painful experience. And the Lord says it's a better experience for you to deal with that, confess it, and come to the table. Now, if you're confused about that, uh, stay where you are. I'd be happy to talk to you after the service, and we can continue on your journey of being. But the way we do it here at Midtown is uh, the band's going to come in in just a minute, and they're going to lead us in worship. Um, when the music starts to play and you feel you're ready in your worship, um, make your way to the table. We, we find that this aisle here and the one out here on the outside, you're right, it's an easy aisle to come forward and use this outside aisle and also the hallway to return back to your seat. It kind of gives a flow, but if you forget that, don't worry about it. There's also a prayer wall out in the hallway if you'd like to post a prayer and take a prayer to have somebody enter into your journey. And if you get here to the kneeler and you realize I can't do this alone, if you'll just cross your chest, the person serving will pray for you and step into your journey and actually minister to you with a desire for you to be with Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would meet us now. That you would be the one that would come in, minister to our less thans. That you would come and help us find forgiveness for our sins. That you would meet us in our hunger to be made whole. Jesus, you would come and make us even more aware of how your Holy Spirit is working to finish the work that you started in us and give us courage to participate with that, to want to be in on that. So Lord, meet us here. Soften our hearts to meet you here. Let us put down our going and doing and allow us the grace to come and be with you. In Christ's name we pray.